Welcome to the Urantia Radio Podcast. Uh, Jim Watkins, good to have you here. In a moment, we're going to be joined by Byron Belitzos, who is just back from an event of great importance. He attended a conference uh, in Washington, D.C. in late November at the uh, American Academy of Religion, and it was the first time that the Urantia Book presence was felt at this convention that attracts thousands of people from around the country and even around the world who are in the business of teaching religion in our universities and our schools. And Byron is going to share what he experienced and much, much more here on the Arantia Radio Podcast. We have Byron Belitzos on. We had him on um, a couple of podcasts ago, and he was headed off to the American Academy of Religion, which was held in, in D.C., and it was a big deal uh, around... Uh, so funny, Byron, because you were doing that while I was on a cruise. <laughs> you know, you were there with all these, you know, religious teachers and uh, professors, and here I am chuggling beer on a on a boat in the middle of the Caribbean. But I thought of you. Um, <laughs> well, I'd rather have been with you, actually. But. <laughs> uh, but you were kind enough to write about because I asked when I got back. I wanted to know what you know how it went and. And there are so many things that you wrote uh, that I just felt compelled to get you back on and and maybe talk about some of it. You had mentioned that there were a hundred other major seminaries and institutes on hand that were there. You were uh, men- members of the Arantia Fellowship, Lynn Goodwin, David Cantor, Big Buck Weimer, Andre Rodatis, Sharon Adams. They were there. Chuck Thurston was there. Uh, you had a lot of support. So what was it like And in First question for you, which is what you, uh, what has motivated you to do this, is that you want there to be a scholarly dis- discourse about the Arantia book, right? So your feeling is when you went into the seminary uh, a, a couple of years ago, you realized that there was so little reference at all to the Arantia yeah. book in, in any scholarly order. And so yeah. tell us that story first about what it was like. You were, you were going to seminary union theological seminary. It's 2021. So tell us that experience. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, the union theological seminary, you know, is right next door to Columbia university in upper West side of New York and Columbia has this fabulous library. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the, the digitized periodicals of, of all fields of knowledge. And so you, you know, as a grad student, you get to search these databases and, you do a, th- a thorough search on the Arantia book for periodicals, for essays and scholarly pieces. There was practically nothing. I mean, really nothing there. But in books, in the you know the huge, huge you know library uh, there, the Columbia has you know upward of ten million books, and and that's connected to the seminary library's eight hundred thousand volumes in, in the theology of religion. And there were only two books. <laughs> there was the Urantia book, but a, an old edition, and um, uh, with the stamping as to when it was taken out, when it had been checked out, which they used to have, and it was only a couple of people that checked it out. Really? Wow. Um, wow. Oh yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And not the right edition, an old edition. <clears throat> and then uh, Martin Gardner's book was the other book. That's unfortunate. That, they, that right that there would have upset me a lot. I would have. And so that made you think, okay, well, something's got to be done about this. I mean. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, those of us that are sort of activists about this and want to get, get this rolling uh, in these different venues, right? And one of the, 
venues that we haven't paid much attention to is this is the academic world and um so there i was in a pretty academic setting and i mean i knew what it was gonna how it was gonna be and i you know figured there wouldn't be much there but i, I couldn't believe it was so little you know so for example the urantia book secondary works that we all know about like the paramony or something those aren't in there and uh so i i contacted them and I, I gave them a list of things and uh, I actually don't know if they ever acquired them, but, but in any case, I had to deal with that. And I had planned to do some work on the UB there. Cause I told them going in, I was going to do it. And, uh, you know, to my surprise, they uh, let me in to do that, but it wasn't the only thing I wanted to do, but I applied to Princeton divinity school also. And they really overtly, said like to my face um no you can't do that research here why jeez it's a whole thing yeah it's oh god that's that's uh, another story maybe for another time but you know you you could have done this at harvard you know for example because harvard they broke ground because of angie thurston was there and Mm -hmm. brought that forward at harvard divinity school so a lot of credit to her to get that done but harvard's really wide open in their divinity school. Um, and where when I was, when you say wide open, open, do you mean they're open? They're, they're tolerant of, uh, other views. You mean wide open or wide open in the sense that they need more. They're not, a, they're, they don't, they don't really, they're not really picking or picky. Yeah. They're not particularly picky because their, their background, a lot of people don't know this, but Harvard is not like any other seminary really, because it, it, Harvard divinity school, was um, a founded by Unitarians, right? Mm-hmm. In the early uh, or I think mid 19th century, right? So Unitarians are quite open-minded. Yeah, and, they are. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. So it's not like, say, Yale Divinity School or Duke Divinity School, which you know, pretty, you know, not real conservative, but but definitely focused on on, on biblical uh, roots. Um, and of course they go far beyond it, but, but they're, they're Christian seminaries that are denominational, but Harvard is not, uh, not, not mm-hmm. really uh, other than Unitarian, but even the Unitarian is not even, non-denominational, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're not strict about doctrine, right? They're just not. So, uh, but, but Harvard, uh, but ma- making that happen at Harvard was, that was a bit of a, a inspiration for me trying to do the same thing at a fairly equivalent seminary uh, in New York. And, uh, and lo and behold, they did let me in and I uh, got a Jesuit guy who was my reader of my thesis and who was, you know, Jesuits are great this way in the sense that they are interested, widely interested, widely read people and open-minded. So this guy enabled me to do it, even though he didn't know what the UB was but he sort of trusted me. Uh, and so I was able to do research, um, uh, of, uh, of, um, not even research. I was just exegesis of the Arantia book mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. When uh, I read and, your truth, evil and sin, uh, and the demonic, or at least excerpts from it, I got the feeling that you were, you were very careful about what you included as reference material from the Arantia book. It, it was, it was very well done because, you could tell you were trying to take a, as much of a objective approach as you could without without the appearance of of, of having a personal preference for the Urantia teachings. It, it didn't 
it didn't sound at all like you were someone who was actually a reader for a long time. Was that your intent was to sort of keep it so it wasn't a personal, but more of an academic approach to uh, using, using anecdotes from the book? You know what I'm asking? Oh, I certainly do, Jim. And, and, um, in, in the field of theology, you know, most of the, most of the academics are, um, members uh, or sort of friendly to a denomination, you know, certainly the Catholic theologians are, and, and, uh, but most of them will, will disclose that they're Methodist or Presbyterian. And so you can't, you don't want to hide that, but you want to have a, a critical distance from, from the materials. That's the whole point. Right. And, yeah. and so you do both, you, you, but you, you don't use the occasion to evangelize. Right. Right. Um, uh, but you do, you know, you'll explicate, you know, whatever it may be, um, John Wesley or whatever your source is. And so I, I, I explicate the UB, but without the uh, adverbs and, and, and adjectives, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. a smart approach because it just gives more credulity to what you're trying to do. So you go to this convention. So you, you, you've determined from your experience at, at Union seminary, the uh, theological seminary that you are now motivated to go and see what avenues are available to get the Urantia book up out more. Uh, and so just from the experience you had at this event, was it surprising to you? How, how many people had even heard of the Urantia book at this convention? Virtually none. Um, there were over 7,000 uh, attendees, you know, almost all of them academics, a uh, few journalists. Um, and uh, we had a pretty in-your-face booth. And I'd say a couple thousand passed by our booth because uh, we were kind of on the far end where they put the small the small organizations. <laughs> so, but a <laughs> lot of people start walked somewhere. by. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, start small. Uh, the, big, the big guys are kind of in the center. I mean, this is a Yeah, the Catholics really, have the entire West Wing. <laughs> Right. Yeah. The Catholics, but you know, the broad and, and, you know, they, they should, because, you know, these are big institutions with, you know, history, uh, yeah. lots, lots of influence and they have, you know, it's, so it's not so much that it's the seminaries and the, and the universities, but it's mainly the publishers that are affiliated with them and or independent publishers in the field of theology of which there are, you know, maybe 20 major ones that, you know, published for worldwide, uh, and, and, you know, the best academic stuff. And so they have these big, big, big exhibits, uh, there. And, uh, as far as the, eye can see, I mean, there are books, uh, being put out on, on every topic of religion, theology. And so, yeah, we, back to your question that we, uh, we could tell, you can tell as people pass your booth that they recognize it or don't. And, and, and you just, it was a little, it was a little sad for, for all of us to, realize, you know, in, in our experience there, how little, uh, we are recognized, uh, yeah. by these people who are there on the floor to see what's going on, right? They're walking by and, and, and you, you soon discover. So, you know, it was like once an hour, did we have somebody really stop to ask what this is? And, and, and now and then there'd be somebody to say, yeah, I've heard about that from a graduate student or, you know, somewhere along the line, we ran into this, but I don't know what it is. It was kind of the, but there was a few that really did. There was uh, maybe three or four <laughs> and uh, that kind of knew what it was. 
I'm wondering if you had anybody who who knew what it was but had a bad opinion of it or maybe a preconceived notioning, but they wouldn't come up and tell you that, obviously. But I wonder if, but it's shocking to me. You know, you guys are all there. We, You know, everybody who's listening to this program, you and I, we, we sort of have our lives involved in this, and it's. I find it somewhat tragic. It doesn't affect my belief, but I find it tragic. And I wonder, you must think about this too, what, what are we doing wrong? Are we doing something wrong? Well, first, it's a funny you say the word tragic, because that was the word I wanted to use to tell you, yes, this. I actually went into this interview saying, I want to get across to Jim that this is tragic. So we're in agreement on that. And, and you know, I think it's really, we put it on a kind of a mundane level, and we could say, in answer to your question, why is this the case? It's simply It's simply because nobody wanted to target that audience in particular over the decades. Uh, and, and there are reasons for that. I mean, I think one of them is that um, you don't know how to get started because you don't have anything to stand on other than a, a single text. Yeah. And and that's not well, how that's academics yeah. work. They, they work from, they work from a set of, of texts and or essays, articles, reviews so once you get a body of something, then you can begin to build a discourse from that. But but you never get into the academic business with a single text that you call revelatory. So you in your own in your own uh, community, uh, you would have scholarship going on in the community, right? So mm-hmm. you could put that get that sure make sure that gets into the journals. You know, that's, so that's another thing. We didn't try people who are academics, did not try, who are your ranch book and who are academics, did not publish anything that I know of mm-hmm. in terms of reviews, essays, research pieces in any academic journal. And there may be exceptions, but so you don't have that to point to. And, and you would and think so that after have, 50 years... I mean, certainly Meredith Sprunger has written books. I think Sadler wrote a few. Uh, There have been other, Angie, as you mentioned, Angie Thurston, I think, just published one within the last five years. Uh, There was other works that uh, Mo Siegel has sponsored, the foundation. And you're right, there isn't, if you go to any bookstore, if there are still any bookstores in your neighborhood, and this has always been the case, you go into a Barnes & Noble and you see all these, you go to the religious section, oftentimes... You won't even see the Arantia book, but you'll see every other cockamamie, you know, anything to do with Zen or there's a million different things. But yet, you know, the greatest assemblage of writings probably in the last 500 years. And yet it's it's not there. It it should be there. It should be in our libraries. I know it's in our prisons. We spent the first 20 years trying to get the book into prisons and they still do it. And I think it's great. But, you know, that's you're right. Where, Where was I guess? The argument could be made, well, Jesus didn't worry too much about the scribes and Pharisees, did he? And I guess there's some truth to that, but he was still considered a rabbi because he had the education of, yeah. of the, the Old Testament at his fingertips. He could pull a yeah. quote out of the air like anybody. So he could use right. the academics' arguments from the Old Testament from which they you know, sourced their material, but the Arantia book and maybe Matthew Block's book could be a big help to this, because he's unearthed a lot of these source sources, you know, even though the Arantia book doesn't give direct credit to where that source was, Matthew Block, right. <laughs> Matthew Block does. 
Right. So Matthew's work, for example, should be in these databases that I was consulting when I yeah. was in a seminary, and they're not in there. And, uh, you know, that, that would be one of the first things that you would think would be in there. Um, Meredith, some of his work uh, should be there. Uh, Sadler is Sadler would be, but not, he never really put out a book on the UB, although right. Sadler Jr., you know, have his, his study of the master universe that should be in there, uh, in, in such a library, but uh, there was never anybody that was focused that I know of that was especially focused on getting it into these seminary and university libraries. So mm. you, you, and what you have to do is you have to get reviews written by, scholars, you know, uh, to get it, you know, noticed by the, by the libraries, by the librarians. Mm-hmm. They so, hold the keys. So, so. <laughs> well, you know, I think this is the thing that, uh, Albert Katzen has been arguing for a long, long time. Yeah. And yes. that's why he's put so much effort into his works because, you know, for me, the simple reader, I'm, I'm amazed at all the pre-scientific statements made in 1934 that were not confirmed until decades later. I, I could write a list of them. I've written a list of them. They're still amazing to me that, and to me that would be evidence, you know, there, here, here's some evidence. How did they know this in 1934? But you and I had that discussion in the last podcast and you said that the weakness of that argument is you're doing it because you believe it already and you can't, yeah. you can't take that approach. You have to be very, it has to be, uh, I don't know, what, what would you start with? I mean, you studied the book, you're a reader. If you were going to approach, let's say, one particular paper or one subject from the book that you could go after and, and unearth some, uh, I don't know, scholarly knowledge, what would, you, what would you choose, I guess? What area of the book do you think you would want to try to go in and take a scholarly approach at? explaining or um yeah the one that i'm currently doing with the topic of good and evil oh that one okay yeah that's a good yeah. one yeah because yeah, that's you're, the one yes I yeah. okay uh-huh. and and that that's of great interest obviously in, in any generation you know what's the problem here with so much evil uh here and 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 how do we know the good how do we know the divine will well, one way is by contrast with evil, but what really is evil, and are there are there degrees of evil, and what have others said about it? So my my task was, see, not just to do exegesis of the Orange Book. That's what we tend to do. We just do, you know, even even the, you know, the book by, you know, the, even Matthew Block's work. Well, no, I wouldn't say not Matthew Block, but say the uh, study of the Master Universe by uh, Sadler Jr. It's just about the UB. It's not comparative. Right. And, and that's what you need to be doing. You need, so in my current book, uh, you know, I have 200 pages talking about everybody else's ideas about, yes, about you do. evil. Mm-hmm. You do. Right. Yeah. And you, 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 that's what you do. I mean, so, you, you know, you, you show, you, you show uh, an interest in, in, in everything around the topic, not just your, uh, what you believe in. And that's, you know, we call that scholarship, but if there's nothing wrong with, you know, what you believe in and, and doing a interpretations of that, and that everybody does it, but that's not scholarship unless you use a methodology um, of a little bit of critical distance from it. 
And this is kind of why I think you want to try to, I mean, you have a pretty big plan, uh, your Angel Book Academy. Yours, uh, are you, let's talk about that a little bit. Tell us about this. What is UBA? Yeah, UBA is, um, you know, when I kind of hatched the idea of having a, a booth there, which was made me queasy right away because I knew it was going to be difficult to pull it off. I, I uh, you know, you had to put down the name of the entity, and I did not want to do this as a Urantia Fellowship uh, project because that's an advocacy organization. That's a that's reader believers. I didn't want it to be that, or the or the foundation. So I invented a new entity so I could call it that at the booth. That was an independent entity that was had a scholarly focus. So I, I so it was a little bit premature because it hadn't been thought through that much. Uh, but yeah, so I, I kind of uh, came up with this name. It's a generic sounding name. And uh, so you see this at the booth and the people say, oh, well, these people are doing critical study of their own uh, of their own revelatory text. That was the idea behind it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, there's uh, uh, two parts of it, you might say. One part of it is just get the ball rolling one way or another for this notion of, uh, of, of critical, uh, 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 scholarly research into the text that just any way you want to do it. And so this is just one of many ways. It's just announce an entity that, that has that ideal. And, and that's, but it could have been done another way. Another way to do it would have been to launch a uh, scholarly journal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, well be, they do have journals around, uh, <clears throat> fellowship has a journal. Right, but you could never get that journal into a seminary. No, example. no, it's it's it. it that, that, so the idea of a Urantia Book Academy would be to bring to attract people who would be as part of their academic study to apply critical studies to the Urantia Book and delve into the subject matter and 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 then do the research to substantiate whether the authors were accurate or not. Is that sort of in the direction you're wanting that to head. And then you could then have yeah. a, is, is that, am I on track? Yeah. You're so, so totally on track and, and, you know, it's a way like anything else. I mean, uh, you, you, you uh, get disinterested scholars, so to speak, who would, mm. you know, take up a topic about what does the ranch book say about the Trinity? And if they're writing a book about the Trinity, they can cover it in a couple of paragraphs and say, well, this is esoteric text or whatever you want to call this, which states that the Trinity, you know, has these permutations into seven and that these, you know, or whatever you want to say, uh, this, you know, what you could imagine that somebody would do comparative study uh, of that and compare it to what, uh, to what uh, Paul Tillich said. Or what right. about the, uh, maybe something a little bit more rooted in science. Let's say you took the first, uh, the Urantia book explanation of the origin of our sun. You know, we pegged the Big Bang, if I've got this right, the Big Bang, according to current science, is 14 billion years ago, which is about the time of the last disgorgement of the giant nebula that spawned the birth of our sun. And that's just my mm. own non-academic putting two two and two together to come up with four, but couldn't someone take a scholarly approach to just that theory that the Urantia book says, and then go out and find out if it's possible through our understanding of astronomy to de- today to determine that our sun is indeed the result of a nebular disgorgement 
17 billion years ago or whenever it says it was. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Like there's a lot of science in the Arantia book that I think would yeah. be red meat for people who yeah. are, you know, curious. Well, you know, that's where we're closest to what I'm calling for. We're already doing uh, scientific symposia, which in which people do look at current knowledge outside of the Arantia book and compare with the UB, right? So that would be a scholarly approach to it. And that's what we need to do. So we're doing a decent job with science now, and but but we're not taking the next step, which is to get bring it to the larger community. We're just we're just doing it for each other. We're not doing it mm-hmm. um, such that yeah. uh, say a grad student in in cosmology somewhere could find it if they did research into that question. They wouldn't find it. You know, they only so we're we're outside of those databases of scholars, and and so it's not that hard of a thing to do. Uh, we take you know a period of years to get this stuff imported into these databases and and get a person who uh, Nigel Nunn or somebody mm-hmm. like that yeah. to to send his article into a, a, a well-known academic journal and see if they'll pick it up. For example, it'd be, be better if you're a PhD, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that you could do that. And uh, uh, well, that's sort of that, what Meredith did. I mean, Meredith was out there hawking this book in the early 60s, and he gives it to all of his friendly, you know, Meredith was a very influential man. I mean, he he could probably call in, he could probably get an audience with, you know, President Kennedy if he tried, you know, back then. Um, And that's what exactly what he did. He handed it out to a bunch of scholars, and some of them looked at him and said, I'm not reading this. (laughs) And then then a judge gave him the book. Uh, his, His introduction was, Somebody gave him a book, and I think it was Judge Hammerschmidt, uh, who was, yeah. uh, I think, was he a Supreme Court judge, or was he a state mm-hmm. Supreme Court judge? I'm not sure yeah, who. Judge, I think. Yeah, uh, if I recall, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. he was aware of the book, gives it to Meredith, and it took Meredith almost a year before his before he realized he had something important. But um, it seems like we have a long way. So do you think that next year, when are you going to plan on going back to this every year and what are you going to do? What should we do differently at the next, you know, symposium? Well, big question. Yeah, I think that uh, the fellowship committee that funded this, the outreach committee, is uh, they just got in touch with me to say they probably want to fund um, fund it next year, uh, uh, and that would be in San Antonio, Texas, of all places, mm-hmm. where they're holding it, and uh, the, it's a very expensive proposition, but. I think they would because the kind of the feedback that I've been getting is, you know, people are happy with the fact that we tried this. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that would be the next thing. Also, they have regional scholarly meetings of theologians and religious studies professors. So I'm going to one actually in February at Princeton Theological Seminary, um, where I hope to get a paper accepted on the UB. And I, I think I'll be able to do it. And maybe they have, they'll allow a booth there. So yeah, it's just it's just you just you just do what any scholar does. You show up at all the venues and you read your papers, or and or you get a booth if you have a an area of of scholarship that you excel in. You you have a booth and you put it out. Um, and everybody does it. I mean, anybody that's in this field wants their work known. So why don't we do that? And I think we it, so it's just an intention to do it and nobody seems to have had the intention 
uh, to do well, it. Someday, so, I mean, I imagine at some point, some somebody who is a Urantia book student of the text will it will emerge in academia and introduce it in the way that they know how, like an Angie Thurston and more of them. But I think also, and maybe I was thinking about this when you were talking about it, you know, the one thing that works against us is that we don't have time. You know, we're not archaic. Uh, in, in some ways, our cultures like books that are that are rooted in antiquity. It gives them more authority. And then I think that's what we're missing. It, the Arantia book is relatively young, uh, yeah. in, in my opinion. It hasn't had a chance. The seeds are not sprouting quite yet, you know. Right. I think that's the case. And that, as Meredith Sprunger has pointed out, among others, you, you, the authority of the Bible is, is only because of time and the fact that the greatest minds of the Roman Empire and Byzantine Empire, you know, got engaged with it and wrote, you know, books and, you know, and scrolls of, you know, of exegesis of, of, the Gospels or whatever. So you just have to have that activity that it be, makes it preponderant culturally. And so what we have been missing is we have not made it preponderant culturally outside of our own circles That's very right. much. Yeah, we're preaching we're to the crowd, crowd you, know, you know. Yeah, we're preaching to the choir. When, you know, choir, the World yeah. Parliament Religion work has been really big breakthrough, you know, for us to get out there with you know, non-Urantia. So that's that's a good example. I think also the scientific symposia are really close to what we need. These are people doing, you know, so one of the issues is it needs to be comparative. It needs to look at current knowledge and compare it to the UP's statements on that topic. And we do that in the scientific symposia. Now, so it's so all you got to do is, is just move it a little bit horizontally um, sideways into the journals with you know the right person who has a PhD uh, in in, sci- in some scientific field that, that would then uh, just give it a give it a try, but I think it's like a chicken egg thing because you don't want to be the first guy to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really it's tough, and and in my case, I, I waited till I was almost seventy years old, you know, because you you don't want to be in kind of get in trouble, and that's why. The scholars that that we know that are your rancher book people at our PhDs who are teaching, they're they're all they're underground. They're 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 self censoring, as we say. Yeah. Not yeah. not not a fun word, but but they they can't you know keep their employment, um and and do you know so so somebody has to so somebody like me I'm independent and I'm, I'm I don't have such a job, mm. and I can take a risk at my age. Um, and and but you know what what would have been even better would be that there would be people in the fellowship or in the foundation whose work staff work is they're staffing this so that they they can say look we we have these twenty major you know theological journals let's try to get the UB itself reviewed yeah. in a journal how do you do that well you mail it to the editor <laughs> that's what that's what publishers do. And but they they've never done that. Um, well, maybe we need to do never, that. We're yeah. we're giving away books everywhere else, and that's why I was encouraging to, you know, Tamara was kind enough to get you books for the AAR, which is great because yeah, we did our great job at getting it in prisons and getting into public libraries that people don't even go to anymore. Let's now get it to to the influencers, people, not because we're trying to 
convert them, but because there's good news to be found. I mean, my God, if we had more of a, of a, a modicum of, of objectivity here, we really do think we're the only planet in the universe and we just can run things the way we want. I mean, the world is in a mess because of this, this lack of knowledge. We, we don't know that we are much smaller than we think and the universe is much larger than we even know. And until that gets, I think that's why this book was given at this age. I think you mentioned it, that the Arantia book is a response to the mayhem and the disorderliness of this, this current world. It's God saying, I'm here, like with a, you know, one of those things, I'm here, I'm here. And this is his I'm here moment, you know, the Arantia book. So that, and you, those are not your words, but that's what your inference was. That, that, yeah, I like the way you put that, John. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's um, also that it, the the, uh, the Celestials know that the Bible has been, really in the mid-19th century was the beginning of the end for the Bible as being, you know, sort of like inerrant, right? So up until early 19th century, there's hardly anybody, you know, other than the French philosophes or, you know, yeah. is, you know, I mean, almost every, you know, you just could, you could not be, critical of the Bible. So the Bible criticism is really 150 years old. So by the time you come to the early 20th century, the, the leading lights of Christianity knew that the Bible was, was, was full of, of incorrect information. And so that's why the UB is a response to that dilemma, which is now we're going to correct the record yeah. as to what happened in those, and in, in, uh, in all the way back to Melchizedek, right? So right. you need to do that, uh, uh, you know. And, and we, the tragedy of this is that, look, if you if you will go to these these conferences, they are slicing and dicing every paragraph in the Bible with hundreds of books. Really, it's it's oh, yeah, oh, it's awe inspiring to walk the the floor because they're trying to you know they're trying to get to the bottom of what in their exegesis of the Bible, because there's a desperate need to know what these issues are about in, for mo, for the modern mind yeah. or the postmodern mind. So, so they're doing, you know, these wild, inter, you know, these, these not wild, but these, these imaginative interpretations of the Bible for the current day. Um, yeah, and I noticed that, that as that, well. That's their, their job. And they have to make, and every generation has to give a new interpretation for the current uh, needs. And that's what they're doing with thousands of scholars are doing that. And with the UB, we've got, you know, like five people <laughs> trying to do that. And so we just need to up the numbers, you know, get mm-hmm. people doing this. Number one, number two, they have to get, they have to they do the logistics. They have to get to those journals. They have to, or they have to go to these seminaries um, and, and, and just show up and begin to talk about this, write their papers about it, write their thesis like I did, like Angie did and get the ball rolling. Um, yeah, because the yeah. hour is late. Yeah, I think there, and, and certainly it would help if we had influencers that would talk about it once in a while. Uh, I learned a long time ago, that it, it's it's funny, uh, very few people have actually read the Book of Mormon. I bet you most people that are call themselves Mormon have never read the entire, just like most Christians have never read the entire Bible. But they'll right. swear on that Bible. Uh, yeah. and, and you could tell people all about the great things about the Arantia book, because there's a billion different great things about it. They may never read it, but that doesn't mean that they can't learn from its truths. And uh, you don't have to get into, you know, the Trinity and the, you know, 
existentialism and the unqualified absolute and all that. You know, you have to kind of go at people's level. But there's nothing wrong with talking about the fact that, you know, saying to somebody, well, you know, Jesus could have chosen 10 other worlds, 10 million other worlds to go to, and he chose ours. Now, people might scratch their head and say, what are you talking about? But it will plant a seed in their mind that maybe life is much more bigger, much bigger than we thought. Maybe it wasn't just a, a, you know, a smart philosopher in the, you know, 2000 years ago. Maybe he came from somewhere else. Where is that somewhere else? What is that somewhere else? Well, he told us about that somewhere else. And you know what? You can read about his entire life. If you're interested, I'll give you this cool book that I found. And there you go. You've had, you've had the discussion and that needs, I think to be in more places, you know, Madonna's out there pushing, uh, you know how many recruits she had to the Kabbalah? I don't even know what the Kabbalah is. <laughs> but apparently she's gotten a lot of people to sign up for the Kabbalah. I think it's an old Jewish ritual, if I'm not mistaken, of some kind. But um, I mean, yeah, it's a great tradition, esoteric tradition with texts and, and, and ritual and, and, and okay. belief system. No, people you know, are desperate for the, They want to know. Yeah. They want to know. You know, and the, the, certainly with a br- breakdown of the family, you know, the parts on marriage and family could certainly be introduced. I wish that you could go on a TED Talks, and I asked you this before, when you came out with your, your evolving soul, because people are hungry for, people want to know, what is the soul? What is this? Do I have a soul, Byron? You know, can you explain that to me? You know, that's what people are yeah. dying for this information. And it's so you know, the information, you know, so there's maybe two big levels here that we should be thinking about is that you have the level of sort of the, uh, promulgating this to the average person in the street, which is great. It's, it's the evangelistic work. It's, you know, face to face and what we've been doing a lot of it, all of us do it. And, and then this other level, which is a little bit indirect, it seems like you're trying to influence a professor who doesn't believe in the UB to put it on his curriculum for a class in religious studies and say, this week we're going to study this unusual text and you can get it in the library. It's on reserve. And I want you to read, you know, paper 170 and write a paper <laughs> like that. And that's roughly what Meredith Sprunger did when mm-hmm. he was teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and you didn't, they didn't have to believe it. They didn't have to know that you're a believer. It was just this, it was assigned. And, and, and then, so you see that that's a different kind of thing where you're beginning to develop a cultural um, discourse, a, cor- a discourse that is not the believer's discourse. Mm-hmm. It's right. not it's the believer's yeah. the evangelists. It's, it's the, it's the next layer of, of, of thinkers, philosophers, scholars that are, what, what is this thing aside from whether I should believe it? Mm-hmm. But yeah. what is it? What does what it say it? about Judaism in relation to what we think of, know about Judaism? Well, it says some things about you know, David, uh, you know, that it says that David isn't what the Bible tells you. He, David was not a really nice guy. He was not a, a really dignified person, you know. So why do they say that? Is there any, is there any other research that supports that about King David? Um, and, and you know, that's a, that's a very particular, peculiar example, but you can think of hundreds of examples of, of how you do this without, without evangelizing it. Yeah. Well, I think that's yeah. a, that's one of many great approaches um, for introduction. And then I think, you know, is 
Now, of course, we get into the debate of, okay, how fast do we want to go? Do we want to go slow? Do we want to, I don't know if we can determine the rate at which this thing grows, but like the, I recently read, uh, the late John Hale would say, leave me out of it and just focus on the work at hand. And the work at hand in this case is just trying to create the awareness scholarly otherwise. But I think the scholarly approach is important to give it credibility. So long-term it's, it's possibly the best thing you could do because if you get a professor doing what Meredith did in his classes for many years when he was teaching in Indiana, out of that came a number of readers who were prominent readers in, in that region. They came because he put it into his class curriculum. So it's mentioned if you had 20 professors around the country assigning that, or people in seminaries who are teaching theology or whatever, church history, that they would assign this and some young student kids grabs onto this and they make a career out of it. Yeah. Uh, and they, they teach their, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a different feel to it than, the street level evangelism, it's, it's working at, at this level of, um, you know, higher education and also cultural, it's cultural. It's not religious, really. It's a cultural activity, mm-hmm. right? You're not bringing faith to these people. Like we, you know, uh, the folks are working in our booth. One of the, our, one of our slogans was we're not trying to save their souls. Yeah. These professors, they're already teaching theology. We're not there to evangelize you know, to, to uh, bring them uh, yeah. into, into belief. We, we just want them to know that this exists. It's on the radar screen of, of thousands of people. And it's a phenomenon that should be studied. Doesn't mean you have to believe it. And, yeah. and just a study of it is sufficient, you know, for this, for this criterion, which is to create a cultural discourse that's independent of the, of the belief of the believer community. And also, the Urantia book offers a lot of the missing gaps of our knowledge about our own growth as, as a species. And so, from an anthropological point of view, it's a treasure trove of, of previously unknown information. As they say, they, they sort and censor and bring in new things that maybe we didn't consider. Um, so, anyway. So just, yeah, well, just think, and just to finish up that thought, I mean, that if... if I don't know. I mean, I, I wrote a paper on evolutionary biology and the UB, and uh, I submitted it to the to the scientific symposium and accepted it. And uh, that was in the light of what theology and science says about evolutionary biology with reference to the origin uh, origin of life. So if if that article was in a journal somewhere, yeah. somebody's gonna you know somebody who's researches that is going to is going to cite my article and it'll be in a footnote and then somebody else will see it and then they'll say well who is this guy what else has he written you know that that's the kind of thing i, I mean yeah and it it, uh, it it is meaningless really unless it gets into the larger community of of biologists and the, theologians working uh, theologians of science it's meaningless it's just that's not Totally meaningless. It's something we believers. Well, are it's not being about. used to its full potential. This is knowledge that could be helpful. It could aid in our research of ourselves in, in a multiple of facets. I, I totally get what you're saying, and I think people listening here, hopefully, that'll spur some ideas as well among folks yes. listening. So, well, Byron, again, thank you for coming on again and, and spending some good quality time with me. And um, I'm always excited about your projects. You've got a couple of publications coming out next year, which I'm very excited that we talked about one of them. 
which is the truth about evil, sin, and the demonic, an integral theodicy for the 21st century, which is, from what I can tell, is a great read because I've read about half of it, and then Reason and Revelation, scholarly writings about the Arantia book, which is coming out, and it's from Origin Press. So are you on track now for these books to come out? Are you almost... Are you done with truth about evil sin, or are you still proofing it and doing the editing and all that? Right. Uh, the final proofing is is really due in two weeks, so mm-hmm. it's 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 basically done. But then it has to be uh, produced and printed, so it'll be several months. And the other book, Reason and Revelation, is really the forefront of this effort because it, it's it's all the scholarly writings that I could find. Uh, by people like Sadler and Meredith Sprunger, essays uh, by a number of people, some of whom are using pseudonyms, that would be a, a, a vanguard text for use in universities. Um, you know, because the only other text is of just very few. You know, the, that they could there really isn't enough. But this would do it. This is a, this is an anthology of really good writings, and so yeah, that's that's more like six months out. Okay. Yeah. Well, as always, a pleasure to talk with you. It's an honor for me, and I know for the audience as well. So thanks again, Byron. And thank you, Jim, for, for, for doing a great work. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I appreciate you as well. It's Byron Balitzos, ladies and gentlemen. So glad to have him on the show, talk about what's going on, and we look forward to having him on again real soon. And also thank you for stopping by. Of course, follow us online anytime, urantiaradio.net, and our podcast, available worldwide. Share the good news. And until next time, thanks again for stopping by.